He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. If any listener today was listening, whether they have one property or a hundred, if you could tell them your lessons from tech, what would you want them to know? I mean, it, it, there's there's no need to spend money creating your own tech if you're not a tech company. You know, at the end <laughs> of the day, right? Uh, we're not a tech company. I don't consider our peers competitors tech companies. Uh, we're property management companies focusing on short-term rentals. So, you know, we're not tech. We use tech as a resource, as a tool to operate efficiently, fast, in a convenient way for our, you know, employees, teammates, and guests. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, welcome back. Another Minute with Minute with Nathan Smith, who leads the U.S. sales with Minute. And we're going to jump into what is audio ID exactly? We hear about it. I love the technology. But let's explain it a little bit more for the listeners. So audio ID um, specifically came about with our new sensor. Because it is uh, weatherproof and can be used outdoors, we built a feature in that would detect and remove things like wind noise from the audio data so that you're not getting false positives. Uh, Because obviously we want you to know when there's an actual party issue or loud noise in general that pertains to your guests. So we use machine learning to allow the sensor to know when something is wind or some other form of noise. And this is something that we will continually be improving and expanding upon over time. So if you do have false positives, Uh, let us know. And it's something that will continue to improve to determine, is this construction noise? Is this traffic noise, et cetera, to make sure that the alerts that you're getting are actually about noise. I love it. You heard it here first, folks. A minute with minute. And now back to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And I couldn't be more excited because I have the one and only Juan Miguel, who is the CEO and founder of Odium Rentals based in Puerto Rico. So we do a lot of guests that are in the States, but not Puerto Rico. So it's a rare occasion to go beyond the US. So Juan Miguel, my friend, how are you doing today? And welcome to the podcast. I'm doing very fine. Thank you for the for the invitation, for the kind words. Uh, longtime listener every week. So it's kind of like pretty happy, pretty excited to be on the other side today. Yeah, get you on the other side of the microphone or the headphones, however we want to phrase it, maybe. Yeah, uh, both. yeah, maybe we, we have a microphone this time. I'm always listening. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead, it's now a two-way conversation than a one-way. I love it. <laughs> well, my friend, I find your story pretty fascinating. So I want you to kind of introduce us to your background and how you got into short-term rentals, because I think you have a unique trajectory from working, I think, from what I saw, you worked with Delta, Virgin, and of course, a bunch of other 
kind of travel companies, but then working up to now having your own short-term rental management company, which is really impressive. And we'll dive into your story with it, but kind of give us a background on how this all kind of blossomed into where you are today. Yeah, well, so uh, a quick, you know, a quick run over those uh, more than, I think, 12 years. So I went for school for engineering, graduated engineering in Dayton, and then went out to uh, my first job at Delta Airlines as an engineer. Mm. Totally hated it. The first job, it was bad engineering uh, from studying it. It's very different from applying it. And so I lasted over there about six months. I told my boss, hey, uh, I'm, I'm just not happy. You know, how can you help me? So he, uh, he gave me a job description for, for revenue management. So six months into it, I switched into uh, revenue management, you know, within Delta. And that's where I started, you know, learning that. So I've been doing revenue management for my entire career, pretty much. Fast forward to, to much closer to today, how I got in. So I was living in San Francisco, quit my job, had some savings and moved back to Puerto Rico. This was 20, that's a 2016, I believe or so. I gotta, I gotta mm-hmm. check on that some, some, <laughs> some years back because I wanted to buy a hotel always like hospitality. Uh, you know, I like traveling. I like hotels. I like staying in hotels and I like traveling with us and like to travel, you know, for leisure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so, uh, you know, raised some money through two private investors on SBA, 504C real estate loan. And then we option up a hotel, 56 key hotel in Condado. But then a hurricane just changed the plans. Hurricane Maria Hey, Puerto wow. Rico, what, like four years ago, five years ago, can remember. And that completely changed the trajectory of everything. After that, we were about to close 30 days when the hurricane hit. When the hurricane hit, we needed to raise about a million dollars for the extra capital that we needed for this first year because of, you know, increased energy costs with gasoline for, for the power generation and stuff. So, you know, investors were not going to put any more money and that was it. So, you know, I spent mm-hmm. a year trying to build that up. It did not work out. I was without a job, uh, without much money, because I, you know, drained my savings yeah. that year that was attempting that. So, you know, after Maria, we, you know, we left, we left, uh, I would spend some time in, in Dallas and I was trying to, you know, see what I was going to do next. Took some time off to kind of job search, started reading a little bit. And I applied for two jobs in New York City. One was for JetBlue. The second one was for a short rental operator called Domio. And so, you know, I've already been in airlines. Domio was a little bit different, hospitality, hotel related. I wanted to get into hotels, hospitality. So, you know, let's go. So I joined the company very early. Uh, you know, I think we were about 15, 12 or 15 employees when I joined, scaled it up to 150 employees, then left January of 2020, right before COVID hit. And so we moved down to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, and we had purchased our first condo in Puerto Rico. Uh, and that is the start of what has become Alti Rentals today. No, man, this is um, quite the journey. And I, I kind of want to touch back on the earlier days here really quick before we go into the Domeo journey into OTM Rentals. But, you know, Hurricane Maria, that's one pretty impactful and kind of how your whole thinking of like what your life was going to be. You're going to go buy this hotel. You've got investors. You've gotten so far down the line. And to have that pretty much taken away out of an act of God, basically. What was going through your head before you moved to San Francisco and kind of, was, or was just like, all right, well, I have to start over. You know, what was going through your head during that time? I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? One is, you know, maybe we, you know, I dodge a bullet in which yeah. it would have been much harder to operate, start operating, you know, first hotel, right at that time. Not that sometimes experience, you know, tells enough, but I didn't have much experience, right? running 
a hospitality company. And so from that side, you know, maybe it's something good that this came along and changed the plans, right? From the other side is, you know, it, you know, it kind of sucked because, you know, uh, you know, I gave myself one year since I moved from San Francisco to Puerto Rico to, to do mm-hmm. that. I saved some money. I had my 401k. I got some, some money saved up, uh, which it allowed me for a year not to generate any income and, you know, see if I could, you know, yeah. make this happen. And so when that happened, I was without uh, a plan, without a job, without an idea. I was also without money. Like literally I emptied yeah. my, you know, my entire savings. Uh, so moved back to Texas with my dad, kind of see what, what, what was next. And I actually started working at Starbucks uh, for some months just to, you know, get back. And that's when I, you know, yeah. like where, you know, for JetBlue and, and Domeo. So uh, it was a blessing maybe in disguise because maybe a Dutch, you know, a bullet, maybe something worse would have happened. It would have been very tough to operate in that first year, given the circumstances. From the other side, yeah, it, it also sucks because, you know, you work so hard and then you almost see it through and then, you know, it just didn't happen. So, you know, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, I always say that, you know, that, that year I, I learned so much. It was a uh, university, a college that, you know, there's no price to it. You know, I learned so much from, from negotiations, just to sitting down and raising more, you know, uh, you know, money. Uh, you know, a quick story is that, that this first person that, I went to uh, raise money from as one of the biggest private equity firms in Puerto Rico. I went mm. to, you know, raise money from him. That was the first pitch. <laughs> and, you know, he, he and I really jived. He thought I was crazy and he actually <laughs> offered me a job in one of his portfolio companies. And I'm like, you know, actually I'm not here for a job, but thank you. Yeah. 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 Appreciate that. But so, yeah, I, you know, I, I learned a lot during that year, you know, things that I apply today. So extremely grateful for that opportunity, even though it did not pan out. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, either you could dodge a bullet, but if anything, you learned a great lesson, you learned great skills that you could apply to today. So I love that. And to also touch back, you also mentioned, you know, revenue management, you hated your first job as an engineer and going into revenue management. And you said, you know, revenue management has been a big part of my career. I've actually probably been a, a massive part of your career. Kind of walk me through that. I'm curious to know just your take, maybe a question to kind of form a, a starting point for the conversation of, you know, your experience of revenue management with flights going from Delta to then Virgin and other brands in the airline space to now doing revenue management from, you know, what you guys have built in your portfolio. What are some differences or similarities maybe that you did or did not expect? Well, I mean, it, it is it is completely different, right? You know, to start, you know, for example, the first two weeks at Delta in revenue management, you you go to training and they show you, you know, the algorithm and pretty much everything. And this yeah. is way beyond my pay grade, my in- intelligence level. This is another ballgame. <laughs> they, they got PhDs and, and really smart wow. people doing all this stuff. Those first two weeks when you learn all the stuff, which you learn it just to see what happens in the background because you don't apply anything on this. I left the office with a headache every single day because it was wow. way too many numbers, way too many formulas and algorithms left and right. It's like, I mean, what what is it for? But it was it set up the foundation to kind of learn revenue management. Why? Because airlines created revenue management back in the 1970s. Yeah. yeah. American Airlines, after the Deregulation Act, they created basically basically you know revenue management. And if you work for American United or, or Delta, those three big airline companies, I mean, that's the perfect revenue management college. It's very different to short-term rentals. Why? Because in theory, right, as you get closer to the day of departure in airlines, the price goes up 
unfortunately, in vacation rentals, the price tends to go down. And so it makes it, you know, a little more challenging to pay attention to your lead time and other metrics to make sure that, you know, you don't have inventory, you know, last minute that you're, you know, discounting. So it has some similarities. It has some, some definitely, you know, differences, right? An airplane seat, it's an airplane seat. 4A, it's the same as 4 5B. And, uh, and so, and sure, the rentals is very different, right? You got property with a beach, with a pool. You got a, an apartment without a beach, without a pool parking. So you need to understand those things because those influence, you know, revenue and pricing. So the core application, yeah, it's very similar, but then they diverge very greatly into how they behave and then what type of details you need to pay attention to make sure that you're, you know, maximizing your revenue accordingly. Yeah, definitely. And for revenue management on the airline piece, I'm kind of curious because you make a really good point on, you know, a seat is a seat. You're really not changing outside of the destination if you can change that, but you take the same plane, point it in a different direction, you're still buying 4A or 4B or whatever the seat number is, right? Why is it such a unique thing for them to want to increase the price for that same seat as it gets closer to your day of departure than it would be the discount versus like a short-term rental? That to me, makes no sense. Supply. I mean, how Supply. many, how many yeah. short-term rentals there are, how many airline seats there are. So if you need to go right now from Nashville to New York and you need to go now, yeah. uh, there's, there's very little seats available, right? There's uh, probably like three airlines. There's probably like maybe three flights a day, right? It's, it's finite, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you got to go on a, air, on a, on a plane, you got to go. And so since there's less seats and stuff, also the industry has, has created itself that that's kind of like the methodology, the, you know, the behavior that they do. It is, it is that way. It is also another component that most, you know, there's a lot of people in the short-term rental industry that don't operate, you know, professionally. There's not, pro yeah. you know, there's your single, your, your single uh, property host, which, you know, they, they know a little bit less about revenue management and, mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's intuition, right? If I lower my price, it's, it's, it's going to book, right? The chance yeah, of the probability yeah. of, yeah, of booking. So, and then because one or two people do that, three and four do that, and then everybody follows. So guess what? If you're revenue management, you kind of don't dance that dance, right? Uh, yeah. You're going to, you know, be left out. Yeah. I remember my hotel management days back in like 2018-ish. I immediately remember doing revenue management and doing all the yield management. So every day checking the rates for our studios, our one bedrooms, our two bedrooms. And then I would check my competition on online. I would go on kayak or whatever and immediately be like, all right, these mother, you know, these mother effers are dropping their rates first and now I'm not going to follow. And then all of a sudden I see like all of the competition in the market basically just start dropping. I'm like, damn, I have to drop my yeah. rates now. And yeah. if, if one person does it, you all basically have to do it. Exactly. So exactly. I want to follow you up a, a question here. Let's say the market does that, right? The market, someone in your competition starts dropping rates. Do you think there's still a successful rate of you filling up occupancy based on holding your ground or increasing rate? Do you think it's that or do you think just human behavior and human instincts are like, nope, I'm going with the cheaper options first and the cheaper options are going to be, you know, what I book? Yeah, I mean, it really depends, right? And what makes revenue management in the vacation rental industry is much different because, for example, if we know no properties are created equal, if we were to have a property that has a pool, and has beach access, mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to hold up. Definitely going to hold up because how many of that property with those amenities there are, right? If it's a regular part yeah. and more of in the city and the city center stuff, <laughs> then, you know, probably it's not, you know, ha doesn't have that many amenities that would, you know, let you command a higher price, a higher premium, or just yeah. hold, right? 
so yeah, th those are the kind of, you know, things that you got to balance, right? You know, what, what properties offer what versus the other, and then see, you know, see your competition around, you know, one of our, uh, the buildings that we operate, we got three units. And mm -hmm. for example, that's the only building in Puerto Rico, short-term rental friendly, that has to be taxes. That's the only one. And we know that there's uh, about a hundred and something, 200 short-term rentals in that building. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we see the market, we see how it's going. And if we have availability for that unit, you know, for one of those, you know, three units in there, and we know that the pool, the beach is the amenities that people look for, we're most likely yeah. going to hold, right? If it's a studio a couple of streets back, probably not hold. I would yeah. sacrifice a little rate at the end of the day it's ref bar where it really matters right it's not ADR yeah. it's not occupancy it's yeah. ref bar yep yeah yeah I love that uh, just I like geeking out about revenue management stuff so to, to get your to get your take is always great I want to go back into your story before we jump into Odium Rentals and kind of the, the foundation that you guys have, have built and created post Domeo so let's talk about the Domeo days I find this story interesting and that you know we all know that how this story you know, plays out through COVID. Domeo, Lyric, Stay Alfred, many of those companies no longer here today. But you have taken that experience and you have formed your own company based off of your learnings and, and prior experience with hospitality and revenue management and other things. So what were the big impactful moments during your, your days at Domeo that have carried through to Odium Rentals today? Definitely. I mean, uh, super, extremely grateful for those, uh, what, three years at Domeo. It were extremely fun, extremely fast paced. I was, you know, blessed enough that I got really early. So I was able to see like something really tiny mm -hmm. grow very rapidly. I saw things that were done properly and also learned things like, you know, all companies are human beings, you know, we make mistakes yeah. and so forth. So it was a great time in the industry. It still is. It was a great time to be at Domeo at that time. I learned way too much, you know, <laughs> way too so, much. Yeah, you know, I learned you know way too much. Uh, you know, I had also you know the blessing also that you know the 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 founders in Domio really trusted me a lot, so they gave me ample leeway to pretty much design and operate as I see fit, and also expose me to other sides of the business, the operational side, which I you know I never had any experience in it. And so I took all those learnings, uh, basically you know going in and out. I enjoy working. So, you know, typically, you know, I spend 10 to 12 hours in the office and I was just absorbing left and right, absorbing left and right with, with no intention to, to, at that moment to do anything else. I was just doing my thing, kind of learning. I, I did not, I was not thinking of starting a, you know, a short term rental company. I was just enjoying there and growing it. So it was, it was pretty fun. But at the same time, I was just absorbing knowledge and, and wasted stuff and, and so th those are the things that we're applying right here. You know, we're applying the, you know, the learnings in terms of real estate, in terms of revenue management, in terms of marketing, in terms of operations with a slight difference in the, in the sense that we're not BC backed. Uh, so our bank account has not many millions of dollars yet. So we, we operate on a, a more lean way that, that, that we used to at Domio. You know, we try to outsource as much of software tech as possible, right? We mm -hmm. use a plethora of apps, like yeah. PMS, Asana, Slack, you name it. Uh, and we all try to integrate it together. You know, there's a way that you can integrate everything together. Zapier, Asana, Slack, they can talk to each other. And so in that sense, we're a little bit different in the sense that we don't have a tech team and you know, we probably don't intend to have a tech team because there's so much stuff out there that we yeah. can use 
and stand dedicated our time to operate really well, drive good reviews, and then increase the portfolio. That was one of the you know main you know main difference from here and now. The other main difference is that we own property. We own about sixty percent of the portfolio that we operate, and so in that sense, it's pretty nice for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we participate right in the in the appreciation of, yeah. you know, of the of the real estate asset through time. Number two, we keep the inventory technically until we decide to dispose it, right? Sell it or lease it or have somebody else, you know, take over or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we would want to do, you know, want to do with the inventory. So those two things, you know, make it really attractive, you know, to own. So we own about 60%. We do a little bit of rent arbitrage and we also manage, right? I think I've always said, and even in my domain days, there's always, you know, there's going to be a good balance between owning because owning, you know, real estate has proven throughout the years to be a really good mm-hmm. wealth accumulation vehicle. And there's some other units that you kind of don't want to own, but you kind of want to operate and make sense yeah. right, to rent them and, you know, do rent arbitrage. And there's a subset of other properties in which, you know, you won't, you'll, you can take them because it's, it's, it's uh, economical for you to operate. It just adds a little bit more revenue, a little bit more time. Now that there's a small infrastructure in place, adding units, operating more units, it's become a little bit more easier and cheaper. And so some units we would just manage because we don't want to own them. We don't want to rent them, but we'll take a chance, right? There's nothing, not much to lose when we manage them. Uh, so it's kind of a hybrid between the three. So those are the two main differences between, you know, a, a, a BC-backed company and a small company in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Hey, well, a small company in Puerto Rico that owns 60% of their inventory is pretty impressive, to say the least. And I, I want to know kind of the journey of buying your first property. What was that like? When you're no longer at Domeo and you're going back to Puerto Rico, you're like, I'm going to buy a freaking building. I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> the first uh, acquisition was was the most interesting. I was flying back from Nashville because I was speaking at the SDR conference, the, the Smith, Smith and Travel Conference. So I was flying back. I bought my ticket through Kiwi.com. I don't know if you... You bought tickets. I've heard, to I've, Kiwi. I've heard. I've I've heard of yeah. Kiwi. I've never bought okay. a ticket. Through, okay. Yeah. Never. Never buy. Never buy. No. Uh, because they they match to 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 flights sometimes with odd times sometimes different carriers, and so uh, you know I left Nashville, spent the the night in Orlando and the airport floor, and then arrived <laughs> in Puerto Rico the next day uh, for my nephew's uh, for my godson's first birthday. Oh, you know, messed up. You know, I landed at eight in the morning, went out to see this apartment at ten in the morning, which I saw through uh, through an online listing. Before I got to Puerto Rico, I already sent the the offer to uh, you know to the broker because you know I just wanted to get it. It was a nice yeah. you know a good building, and so I sent in the offer in the airport, and I just let him know that this, this is my price. I'll, I'll pay you the you know what what you're asking. However, I need to see it first. Yeah. When landed, saw, saw the saw the apartment, and it was like in pretty rough shape. There's a uh, a tenant that that used to live there. Uh, they kind of did not take care of the unit. Uh, I can send you a video later. <laughs> yeah. like and, <laughs> and so that, that, it, it, that was our first. We're still living in New York, working for Domeo. And so we had that over here. And then we, we started working and, remo- and remodeling. Uh, and that was our first uh, unit. Uh, and then that last day, we, acquisition was May of 2019. And then we took almost a year kind of to, to, to fix it. Uh, but it was complete Reno. Gut work everywhere, electrical, everything, and we got our first reservation in November of 2020. So that's when you know technically we started operating as a hospitality service in Puerto Rico, and then from that on, we 
we bought we kept buying until you know we we kind of you know maxed out our yeah <laughs> our resources uh but the good thing is that since this property's cash flow the early ones started cash flowing pretty nice we saved a yeah. little bit and then we kept buying a little bit more slower you know properties you know they're going to appreciate and they they're good for short-term rentals all right slick talkers now for another dynamic sponsored duo of the podcast I would love to introduce you to Vintory and Safely. About Vintory, we've had Brooke Fotts on the podcast, who is a founder, multiple times, and him and his team know numbers. They know data and they know marketing. They know how to help property managers just like you scale and grow their business by adding more inventory, aka more homes, into your rental program that drive the bottom line. For all of you listeners that want to learn how to scale and grow your inventory, you can get a free digital copy of Brooke's book called From Zero to 500 Properties in Five Years. And for an added bonus, if you would do a demo of the Vintory platform, you'll get a $50 gift card to Amazon. Now that's a sick deal. And now to touch on our friends at Safely.com. Safely.com helps property managers just like you and I protecting the homes that they manage from structural damage to content damage and of course bodily injury. This means plates, linens, cups, couches, tables, curtains, walls, and of course your guests themselves are protected. And this helps you by scaling your company in order to ensure that you are retaining owners and inventory in your program. If anything is broken or if anyone is hurt, you are able to make a claim through Safely and within three business days you can get instantly paid out to replace any items and settle any claims that happen on site without having to deduct from your owner's payouts. That's why I call these guys the dynamic sponsor duo. And thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Check out their offers in the show notes and back to the episode. Yeah. So you use the cash flow to kind of help finance the purchase of yeah. multiple units and then yeah. eventually. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, you know, once, once you get the first one and the second one and they cash flow, right? Even though most banks will will not recognize short term rental revenue just as your, your traditional banks, uh, yeah. they will assign it a long term you know lease amount, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, rent in this condo is for two thousand uh, dollars. So between that, right, and the fact that is you know it's been operating for a little bit and it's generating cash, then you know banks look at that and then it offsets your debt, and then you know you can keep on going slowly yeah. but surely. Yeah, I love that. And you kind of were mentioning, I'm a big fan of tech. And I think we talk a lot about tech on this podcast. And I'm curious to know, you know, your lessons around tech from Domeo to now being lean and and really trying to, you know, make sure you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not getting the fanciest toys, but you're, you're connecting proper like software, like your property management software to Asana and Zapier and getting creative and using this to all function as one. If any listener today was listening, whether they have one property or a hundred, if you could tell them your lessons from tech, what would you want them to know? I mean, it, it, there's there's no need to spend money creating your own tech if you're not a tech company. You know, at the end <laughs> of the day, right? Uh, we're not a tech company. I don't consider our peers and competitors tech companies. Uh, we're property management companies focusing on short-term rentals. So, you know, we're not tech. We use tech as a resource, as a tool to operate efficiently, fast, and in a convenient way for our, you know, employees, teammates, and guests. So, you know, there's plenty of stuff out there, right? It's not the fanciest, like you'd say, you know, some, um, a lot of them are free. You know, we use, uh, you know, a few of them still in the free version. Some of them, we've uh, grown them, so we had to pay for them. But, uh, you know, 
everything is connected. Our 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 communication center is Slack. Asana is connected to Slack. Airtable is connected to Slack. When there's a guest request that goes into Slack, when there's a maintenance request that goes over there, I mean, everything, the reservations, cancellations, you know, everything goes to there. Uh, purchase order forms. Uh, so between, you know, Asana, Airtable, Google, it's a great tool. You know, my PMS, hopefully, you know, all those, you know, we're able to kind of deliver the same experience or similar experience to, you know, other peers that have, you know, apps and, and in-house tech and in-house, you know, engineering teams and stuff. So, you know, we're able to do that maybe in not the fanciest way, uh, but it's definitely cost-effective for sure. Well, cost-effective and it sounds like it's pretty streamlined. So if anything happens, anyone in your team just has to go on Slack and they can see it within a dedicated channel or so like, Pretty it much. doesn't sound like there's a lot of manual manpower. No, I mean, we, you know, we got our hospitality team, which takes care of communications. Whenever there's a guest request that goes into Asana and from Asana, it just flies by itself. Flows into Slack. Uh, obviously, if a picture is uploaded, but then we go in, you know, kind of report, take pictures, it's completed next. Then we can move in. We do that for maintenance. We do that for guest requests. And right. we still use the Asana free version, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 We're still holding. We're still holding. Still holding there. Anyone at Asana, don't listen to this part. Don't, right here. don't, don't. It's a great product. It's a great product. And I know we'll pay for it someday, but so far, it's been okay on the free version. I love it. I was like, man, I got to learn how you're still on the free version. I have a team of like five for our, our podcast network. And I have to pay for every every damn seat. I'm like, ah, I love it. But uh, no, it's great. I, I think, you know, it's, it's nice just because, and you and I talked about this yesterday on our pre-chat going into not that VC backed companies are bad. We've had plenty of founders who have raised capital on the show. Uh, I'm about to raise capital, not from maybe VCs, but still raising capital. And sometimes I think we could over glorify fundraising, especially in our industry that, you know, X, Y, and Z company raise 25 million or whatever the amount is. Right. And we can glorify that, but just because it's venture backed doesn't mean it's, it's one recession proof, COVID proof, you know, it, we're still sustained or still exposed to any event in the world, just like everybody else. And so to, to hear your story and, you know, saying like, you know, you can have one, you could buy properties and have a great mix of arbitrage ownership and, and co-hosting or management, but you know, not that you need the money from a, a VC to kind of help accelerate your company. So I would love for you to share maybe some insight just with your, your guys' business on you know your inventory your growth trajectory and how you guys are planning on you know scaling within your means and still remaining sustainable and profitable and all the things we've talked about before yeah i mean raising money i'm with you it's it's not bad uh what what's bad maybe is the comfort that it brings having a few million yeah. dollars in the bank account right it's different if you you know having 100k in the bank account versus having 10 million dollars obviously yeah. the runway is different you know, you can, you're more flexible, right? Which is nice, right? It's nice to have that flexibility and be able to do a lot yeah. of stuff. But at the same token, right? If you're, you know, if you're trying to grow a business that makes a profit at the end of the day, that's not just, you know, throwing money or creating an app, we're just creating it just to say that, yeah. that, we're, that you know, that we have an app. You know, if, if there's no need to do that, then, then, then why spend the money, you know, right there? We, yeah. could raise some money and have $10 million in the bank account. And probably I will not build a, a, a guest app. 
I mean, yeah, because you know how how many people are going to use it, yeah. So probably won't. Uh, how you know we we've been we've been growing, uh, you know, cent by cent. We literally watch how every single cent then goes out, and we need to make sure how that cent plus one is going to come back. And so you know everything that we do, we just sit down and and excel it and model it and see where our resources are see the payback period, not only the payback period, but then that peer, pay, payback period, how much and how long is it going to take to kind of build the nest, the, the next uh, nest deck to kind of jump to that, you know, next property, which is also difficult because, you know, not having all the resources at the same time, then it's, you know, when a property, you know, does, you know, knocks on your door, it's like, oh, yeah, you gotta, you know, move some stuff around and see what you want to do look for alternate finance, you know, financing and stuff, which there's some vehicles, you know, out there, the, the SCRs loan and other, you know, kind of more niche private equity banks that kind of also are interested in this, in this space. How we intend to grow the, the, the same way we've been, we've been growing. We start with one property today. We are operating 28, about to put 29 today. Uh, we have another 23 properties that we're fixing, you know, right now individual properties that we're fixing. Hopefully they will come in in the next, you know, 60 to 90 days. And to be really honest, we, you know, we've been fortunate in the sense that we, we don't market ourselves. We don't market to, to, to owners. You know, we don't acquire owners. The owners that have come to us have been either for, from word of mouth or friends of friends. And that's been done intentionally because we've been, we've been blessed that we've always had, you know, work and new properties and, you know, people knock on your door and say, Hey, you know, get this opportunity. Can you help me? Yeah. So we have not done anything, which is wrong. Also it's wrong. You know, yeah. you need to if it's, if it's naturally coming in, I don't think that's wrong. I think, well, you know, there will be a day where you'll probably need some outbound yeah. marketing, but yeah. Hey, if it's naturally coming in, Exactly. Let, let that yeah. train ride. Let that train ride. Exactly. So we're yeah. we're doing just that. Also, we you know we we've done it intentionally because we want to make sure that we lay the foundations really well. You know, 100%. it makes no sense for us to now get a hundred properties and 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 you know we'll, we'll be just scrambling, right? So yeah. you know because this has been designed for the long run, right? We want this to, you know. I don't know the future we're living today, just April 11. That's what only matters. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we, we, we try to design this for, you know, to last, to yeah. last. And so, you know, but by, by that, we need to have the foundations, you know, properly have our operations really sync, have a, you know, great team, which, you know, our team is, it's, you know, it's full of, you know, rock stars. You need a good team. You need a good operations between those two. Then all the other things kind of fall into, you know, the marketing falls, or, you know, rev revenue management falls you know, new properties will come in. So those foundations are extremely key. Extremely key. If you have those, you know, really set up and that's what we've been working on the past, you know, few years, we want to make sure that, you know, we can handle a hundred, 200, you know, 5,000 properties, you know, at the end of the day, we got intentions in moving beyond Puerto Rico, moving to the Dominican Republic, Panama, going back to the States where we used to own property and did short-term rental as well. So we're trying to, you know, design it as, as, as best as we can so that we can, you know, okay, now let's, let's just, you know, let's just grow a little bit quicker. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And I got two questions for you kind of following up on this. Um, one, what's the Puerto Rico market like for short-term rentals? Is there a lot of competition or is the market, and maybe you don't want people to know this, but is the market ripe for, for this type of, uh, accommodation and lodging for, for travelers? So, you know, we moved to Puerto Rico for two reasons. One, we're, where we're from Puerto Rico, right? 
Yeah. And uh and and I, I actually three. We're from Puerto Rico. The weather is quite nice. Yes. Uh, year round, year round, and you get beaches and stuff, so it's really nice. But then third, well, don't tell me about beaches right now because I might book a ticket, just fly out there and just say screw oh, it, I'm, I'm going, I'm leaving, it's, I'm leaving Denver. It's, it's like it's like ninety degrees right now. It's like, why am I sitting on a desk? But <laughs> this is this is life today. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we we move out to Puerto Rico. We're obviously from Puerto Rico. The weather and beach, uh, fantastic. We're from here, but then Puerto Rico uh, for the last 10, 10 years has averaged about fifteen thousand hotel rooms. So the hotel inventory has been pretty flat yeah. throughout those years. You know, come in, short the rentals, which there's always been, but obviously Airbnb kind of popularized yeah. it, right? Uh, there's always been, you know, short the rentals. We moved back because we saw the opportunity in this niche. At the same time, Puerto Rico was creating a uh, DMO, Destination Marketing Organization, uh, mm. and they were, you know, assigning public funds to that private entity to make sure that they can market Puerto Rico. So yeah. that's a good thing to have because they can do mm -hmm. the market for you. They, they want to make, you know, they, they're going to bring those planes full. So between that and some real estate opportunities that, that, that we saw, it's like, you know, we got a little bit of help with the marketing, Puerto Rico, who wouldn't want to go to Puerto Rico for a weekend yeah. and spend them on the beach. There's, you know, good prices, you know, at that time prices have, you know, appraised a lot. So, so we went down now competition has, you know, skyrocketed. You know, after COVID, if you see the graph for active listings in the San Juan area, it's just a climb up. Like, mm. you know, there's no slowdown, which is fine, right? It makes it a little bit harder revenue management-wise, revenue-wise, because it yeah. gives more supply, supply and demand. We all know that what happens to prices, but it's good for the entire industry. The, the bigger the industry, the better it is for all of us, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, we have the hotel lobby and all the same stories that you see in every corner around the world that's uh, affordable housing, et cetera. The same thing is happening over here. Is it a good market? It's a great market. I mean, it's a great market. There's some cool tax incentives also that have attracted a lot, a lot, a lot of investment to Puerto Rico. So it is a good market to be in. There's opportunities, you know, prices are a little bit higher, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, when I hear people say, oh, our mortgage rates have gone up three, 4% from what they used to be. It's like, oh, well, yeah, there used to be three. Now there's six. I mean, can you cover it? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, still do it. So yeah, it's just, you know, uh, you know, math wise, it's a great place to invest at the end of the day. Is it true? I, I can't remember if this was Puerto Rico, if it was Costa Rica, somewhere else. Uh, you have to be a Puerto Rican citizen in order to get a, a short term rental license in order to mm -hmm. for, like, have a property management company? No. No, okay. uh, there's no restrictions into who can have property management, uh, uh, pro uh, vacation rentals or gotcha. investment properties. There's no limitation to who can manage uh, short-term rentals of property. Gotcha. So is regulations becoming a more of a thing now with the market booming or do you guys see regulations still kind of yeah. being a little bit behind? No, I will. There's some bills in the in the assembly here in the local assembly. There's some bills to regulate them. And we're yeah. more, more than happy to get us regulated, right? Uh, yeah. Right now, you're gonna make sure you pay your 10% room tax. It gets charged to the guests. You you know pass it through, and then just you know send your tax returns every month yeah. for the and so you know you know basic stuff. Yeah, there, there's some uh, some chit chat about you know having more restrictions and to having uh, you know regulated at the state level, which is fine. I think it's just adds professionally yeah. and, and and credibility to you know to the space. So yeah, yeah. we're more than welcome for 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 more regulation as long as it is you know. That makes sense, right? Not 
you know. Yeah, it's not yeah. something completely crazy, which yeah. a lot of governments will try to try to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, without understanding what what the actual industry does, but uh, no, it's really good. And so I have two last questions for you. Uh, one, when you hear the phrase or the term sustainable business, what does that mean to you? And then one thing we've been doing on the show, I don't know if you've been listening to any of the episodes uh, this year, but we ask a guest prior to recording with the current guest to ask a question without telling them who you are. And so I have a question from the previous guest before you to ask. In a okay, bit. nice. So I, would love to, I would love to know, though, for you, just a sustainable business, what does that mean to you and, and how do you apply it? You know, it, it is, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would just say frugal, uh, but I'll, I'll add that word. We're, we're frugal. I mean, if, if, if there's something that we'll need, we'll get it. It doesn't matter how much it will cost given the parameters, right? But it, it is, you know, building a sustainable business just, you know, it's like doing exercise, it's like keeping your body healthy, eating the yeah. right stuff and doing your exercise so you, so you can last. If you want to do it for 10, 20, 30, 50 years, you want to sell it someday. And same with your body, right? If you intend to live for 100 years, uh, make, make sure you eat well and exercise and, and meditate and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's about being frugal and not get, you know, overextended. Don't get too too fancy or too or too aggressive uh, and just, you know, live day by day, just thinking there's a, a, a tomorrow, but make sure that, that, that each decision that you take, you know, there, there's some thought, you know, behind it. Right, uh, that you're taking that decision, you know, for the long term. There's processes in here that I was talking to one of our teammates, you know, yesterday that, that we're trying to design a process. And we could go the, you know, the, you know, the fastest way and do it this way, or take a little more time and see how we could do it a different way. Because whenever there's double the inventory, etc., then it'll, be, it'll become a problem. So every step, every you know, processes that we think or design. It's, it's been designed to like, hey, can we, is this going to facilitate us when we are much bigger? Is it going to pose a problem? So it's a part of being, being, you know, being sustainable. And, you know, the cool part of building a sustainable business that I think you learn, you know, a lot as well, uh, because there's some, you know, decisions that you need to take and make and things that you need to delay in order to make sure that, you know, you're going to, you know, see it through, especially in the growing phase, because right uh, at the beginning, when you get a property, you're sinking money into that property left and right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, every, every single property, it's a hundred K at least between down payment and the fixing and furniture and, you know, a hundred, 150 K and that's a lot of money. And so since we don't have, you know, millions, we're going to make sure that those instances that we put that money into work, that we're, you know, putting it to work, you know, for the long term. Yeah. No, I love that. That's such a great, I love the, the analogy of exercise, eating healthy, meditating. It's the same thing. It's practice takes work. It's not just something you can like, Oh, we have a sustainable business because uh, yeah. we, we, we thought it, you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's you're, you're practicing and living it out. I love that. All right. So the question from our last guest, which was Josiah McKenzie, who has hoteloperations.com. It's a great resource for hoteliers and even short-term rental operators. But his question to you, without knowing I was going to interview you, he just thought of this question without knowing. Uh, his question goes, what's giving you life? What has made you laugh recently that fulfills your day-to-day? -day? Make me laugh. Well, you know, so, so, sometimes I pinch myself, right? 
maybe I dreamt, I, you know, it was a dream of, of mine. I've been in this situation, uh, you know, five, six, seven, you know, 10 years ago. I've always, since mm. I was a little kid, right? You know, I've always thought because my parents have always been business owners. Uh, I've always seen that. So that's kind of what, how I'm wired. So I, I, I've always said, man, I, I got to be like my mom and dad running their yeah. own show and stuff. And so, you know, what, what makes me laugh is just sometimes just thinking about those times when, oh, when is it going to happen or how or when it's like, and now that we're, we're here, it's like, oh, it's real. And the same token, there's, you know, 50% that I already knew, 50% that I did not know. That's like, whoa, this roller yeah. coaster up and down, like, you know, the work, the emotions, it's like, what are you going to do? You know, suddenly you're you know responsible for, you know, for a team. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of payroll and stuff. And yeah. so it's like, whoa, you know, it is, it is for real. And that may, you know, makes me laugh at the end of the day. It, it brings me a smile because it's, you know, from, you know, from, from something you, you know, I'm a big fan of, of working every single day, doing all the tasks and going and, and keep getting better all to, you know, that's the result of, of getting today. So, yeah. you know, that brings me joy. And also I try to meditate, you know, pretty much every day, every morning that comes from my dad. And that brings me joy as well, because, you know, I got a long list of things that I need to do day in, day out that 24 hours yeah. is not enough time. And so yeah. sometimes like I'm a human being, this is flesh right here. Yeah. Sometimes it, 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 it is too much. Sometimes it is too much and it could get out of control. So I like to meditate in the morning because it kind of like, you know, I wake up and I'm a very hyper person, uh, you know, yeah. I wake up at six and I just go. I don't spend any time in bed. My girlfriend, you know, just hates that. It's like, hey, how can you even stay for a single day? It's like, you know, I open my eyes and I go. Yeah. Uh, so I sit down in my car and I meditate so I can just uh, bring myself down and then, okay, let's let's go on. And that brings me joy as well. It brings me a big smile. Suddenly, I'm, you know, yeah, things change. And, you know, it's something that I try to do every day to bring joy, to bring that laugh, to make sure that all this becomes manageable. I love it. I love it. It's uh, perfect. Uh, kind of what I've been super excited about, just like regulating emotions. And yeah, I'm like you. I wake up at five or six or whatever time in the morning, and I'm go. I, I I drink some water. I have some coffee. I'm I'm hitting everything. And then by the time my team gets onto Slack, they're like, "Wow, everything's basically done. What the heck?" <laughs> um, but not basically done. There's still a lot to do. But yeah, I'm very much like you. So I love that. Just kind of like regulating yourself uh, in the morning, starting off on a really good foot is really good. So. Without knowing who's going to be the guest after you, what's the question you would want to ask them and hear their answer on? Wolf, what what do you do when adversity just you know hits your door and it hits your door day after day after day and it's a little bit constant sometimes? You know, what do you do? What do you do when adversity hits your door? I like it. I like it. That's a great question. Well, you'll have to tune into the next episode after yours in order to hear the answer. But it's been so good to chat with you and to hear your story and to kind of maybe take a little peek under the hood of what you've been building. I, I've been a fan of yours as well. I, I've heard of Odium Rentals, I think maybe a year and a half or two years ago almost. So probably when you guys were pretty, pretty new and fresh, but just really love hearing your story and how you're building this and how you're approaching the industry and the practice of short-term rentals and hospitality in your, in your business. So I just want to say thank you for being a guest on the show. If any listener wants to find more information out about you, where do they go? Odiumrentals.com. 
website. It's the best way to contact us through there. You got social media channels in there. But yeah, this way, the website, altirentals.com. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll make sure everything is included in the show notes, just like we always do. But if you're a listener or a watcher, viewer of the live uh, recording, then thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you like and subscribe everything Juan Miguel and ODM Reynolds and what they're doing in Puerto Rico as they continue to grow and expand and lead the way as an example of what to do as a short-term rental operator in our industry. So Juan Miguel, thank you again so much, my friend, and we thank will you. talk again soon. Take care, Will. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.